You're listening to Visions of Education, a podcast where we take a look at big ideas in education from different perspectives. Hi, I'm Michael Milton, a high school teacher from Massachusetts. And I'm Dan Kretka, an education professor in Texas. We're here to help bridge the gap between educators in the K-12 and those professors in higher ed. We hope this podcast will help bring those fuzzy ideas in education into focus. I, I do think we should add the word un in front of more school things just to kind of mess with people, right? And students would maybe catch on and it would be a lot of creative thinkers. So like when you think what is what would it mean to unschool someone, right? Ooh, there's lots of possibilities there. You're thinking about like, you know, maybe getting rid of some of the negative sides of schooling we think about. What does it mean to unteach? What does it mean to... Uh, to or unclass, but that could also then be tied into like Marxism because they want to unclassify. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, it's it's an interesting way of rethinking some of the things we do, right? Because now we're we're, we're challenging the model that exists. And we're on lunch. A new model. On lunch, right? What would that mean? Is that like I have when you no fast? idea. <laughs> it would be lunch differently. Maybe everyone would make lunch together. This would be a good project for maybe like an English language arts class where we they add un in front of a lot of school activities and think about what would it mean to un that activity right so and we're i don't think we're really unpotting right now because we didn't really we don't even really know what that means yet i think you still have to have some kind of purpose or idea of what you, where you're going right i would hope so so i would yeah, yeah. let me ask you a question and i think this is going to help tie together the prefix that we're talking about yeah the direction this episode's actually going which is michael what have been your best and worst experiences with professional development at, at, at your school that you've had yeah, so I think one of my best professional development, there was this guy who came in and it was a direct lecture and he was talking about images and like if you put four images on the board, you tell the kids like what is, try to figure out the difference. And it doesn't really matter what the answer is because all it really was putting thought into it. But anyway, it was weird. It was a direct lecture, but the entire school just sat there. And then later in the afternoon, there was time for us to actually put stuff into practice. It was fascinating, unlike any professional development that I've ever had before, because normally sometimes teachers get really bored during professional development, but it was captivating. And again, that time at the end was amazing because we actually were able to put something into practice for the next day, for the next week, et cetera. And some of those things from that thing I still do. It's nice when you actually have time to start working on something, right? Like, Because it's easy for an idea to sound good, but if you're kind of just someone's talking to you, you know, sometimes you, it sounds like a great idea, but then you just don't really have time in your schedule to follow up on it, or the school doesn't really build in follow-up time to the professional right. development, right? And I, I know think it, my worst would be anytime someone goes up with the PowerPoint with <laughs> lots of words. I'm The PowerPoint's not my favorite invention of all time. I know they can be useful as visuals, but there's a lot of, we need to do a lot of un-PowerPointing. I sports. feel like I was a good pointer before, and putting power behind my pointing just put it on a slide. <laughs> you know, I know as a teacher in schools, I was had some good experiences where they actually gave us time to work with my colleagues, and I always appreciated that. And my least favorite, I know, professional development experiences was when they would bring in someone with the assumption that they had more expertise than us, 
And I always remember this history professor that came in and us just sitting there and being like, yeah, we, we know all this. We teach history. Like, and they paid this guy like hundreds and hundreds. I don't know how many hundreds of dollars, but I'm going to say hundreds and hundreds of dollars to come in and talk to us. And the people I was sitting next to could have done the, a better workshop just by saying, hey, here's what I'm doing in my class. And we could have just talked about it. And so I like when I just get to work with my colleagues because that's usually what you know, they're there to, to follow up with me later. I hear you. So we have a couple interesting guests in here today. Is that correct? We do have some guests today, and they're going to help us talk about the prefix un and the idea of conferencing. And maybe they could put that together for us and we could talk about EdCamp unconferences. Interesting. And just a side note before we leap into our guest, what if we called it Yoon because it's like you, which is... Never mind. <laughs> this is one of those things where uh, there are going to be crickets added to it. It was a good try, Michael. It was a good try. Yeah. So without further ado or uh, any more prefix jokes, let's welcome into the podcast Hadley Ferguson and friend of the pod's second time on the pod, Jeff Carpenter. Welcome. Thank you. It's nice to be here. Good to be here, too. Thank you. We are thrilled to have you both on. Hadley, could you start by kind of telling us a little bit about your background in education? So I spent most of my career in the classroom. I'm a middle school history teacher, or I was a middle school history teacher. And I was also one of the founders of the current EdCamp movement. There were nine of us who met on Twitter and were having conversations and sharing best practices there back in 2009 and thought that it would be really exciting to get together and actually meet in person. And so we, at that point, followed the what's the model of bar camp, which is an unconference for coding, and said, started sending out tweets saying, anybody want to come? And everybody that w- was connected with us were interested in this idea. And we had people from as far away as New York down to Washington, D.C. come to Philadelphia for that first ed camp. And the ed camp movement grew driven completely by volunteer teachers. And four years ago, I left the classroom. We received our first grant, and I left the classroom to run the EdCamp Foundation to support our amazing organizers and try to build the community of participants. That's neat. Yeah, it's it's been amazing, and it's all based on the energy and enthusiasm of teachers to learn from one another, to share best practices, to ask each other questions. And then they want, you know, when they experience the ed camp, they then so often turn around and want to lead one in their town. And so it just spreads because teachers are so excited about being part of this. Jeff, many of our listeners probably remember you well. And I uh, have not forgot about any parts of your biography, but do you want to Was this briefly... back, way back in episode 17? Episode 17 with Tony uh, Trust, and I su- 17 invited myself. Yeah. Do you want to tell us a little bit about your background in education? Yeah, I'll fill in the several hundred listeners who somehow missed episode 17. So I work at Elon University. I'm an associate professor of education there, and I run a scholarship program for aspiring teachers in the School of Education as well. I was a high school English teacher for 10 years abroad and in the U.S., and I experienced sort of the good, the bad, and the ugly of professional development myself as a teacher. 
And so that's where a lot of my research has been since I've moved into higher ed. I've done a variety of, of studies on how educators learn sort of outside of what is formally required of them. So some of that has been on their use of social media for professional purposes, but I have a thread of, of research on ed camps as well. Just to clarify, Jeff, 479 people have listened to episode 17. So that's at least 479 people that surely have not forgot your biography. I hope not. So um, to talk a little bit, so we're talking about EdCamp unconferences today. So before we get into the nitty gritty of where EdCamps are today and how the movement has gone and how much money is Bill Gates giving us, can we start off by just talking about what are EdCamps for people that don't know? EdCamps are based on some very simple principles. Um, from the beginning, the founders, we all wanted to make sure that EdCamps were free because we wanted teachers to be able to learn together without having to pay conference fees, which oftentimes are exorbitant. And so we set it up that any EdCamp needs to be free. It needs to be open to anybody who wants to come. And from the very first, part of what we found was the cross-pollination of public school, charter, independent school, parochial, parents, administrators, students, that it creates a wonderful mix of experience and questions that really adds to the, to the conversations. And we also wanted to make sure that it was participant driven. So nothing's created ahead of time. It all happens. The scariest thing for an ed camp organizer is the session board before anybody arrives because it's empty. And yet when teachers come, they get to say, today, this is what I want to talk about. Not something that an administrator six months ago decided was important, but something that they that day want to talk about, that they, they are facing a struggle in their classroom or they just tried something and it worked and they want to tell as many people as they can. So that, that's really at the heart of an ed camp is that it's driven by the people who were there. And then in the beginning, we really wanted it to not be a place that was filled with vendors. When you go to a lot of these big conferences, teachers are sort of assaulted by people who want them to buy things. And we all know teachers don't actually have a huge amount of buying power, but we wanted them to be able to go and have it really just be about these conversations, about these times when teachers who wanted to talk about whatever the topic was, they could talk about it. And then at all ed camps, we talk about the rule of two feet, which is that you have given up in most cases a Saturday in order to learn. And if you end up in a session that sounded like it was what you needed and you get in there and you find out that it's not, it is it is critical that you very politely move to a session, go back to the session board, find a session that might meet your needs because it's not about being polite, it's about learning and that everybody who's there recognizes that people are there to learn. It's such a critical part of the EdCamp spirit, the rule of two feet, because I always say that if anyone ever feels like insulted or you know that anyone's walking out of the room, it means that you're not doing EdCamp correctly because we're there to learn. And if you feel like you have like some kind of control over the space, right, like you're presenting, then you're not doing what you're supposed to be doing. And I'll always remember the first EdCamp I ever attended was EdCamp OKC. I think it was in 2012 or 13. And I didn't understand them, right? I'd been going to a lot of academic conferences. I was early in my, in my higher ed career. And it took me like a session to kind of figure out what's going on. And I actually even had like a computer with like slides on it. I was like, oh, I could show this and stuff like that. And I kind of quickly realized that's not what they're doing here. And we're sitting around and working on stuff together. And 
Um, so it was such a generative experience. And I remember one of the first sessions we were talking and I said, well, Oklahoma should have a, a hashtag where we all like have, you know, moderated chats. And we found out that there was an Oakland hashtag. And shortly after that, we decided we planned to start having Sunday moderated chats. And that was the birth of the Oakland Sunday night chats, which they've been doing every Sunday night pretty much since then. Um, so it's been going for like five years now. And so there's such generative places and the spirit is so different than you get oftentimes at other, you know, professional development opportunities. Can we talk a little bit about what the difference between a conference and a non-conference is? Because I think that's where I still need to get the prefix. I need to understand the prefix a little bit more. I would say that the the difference really comes down to that aspect of being participant driven, that most conferences are planned ahead of time. There are calls for proposals. There are committees that are making decisions as to who's going to talk and who's not going to talk what, and what's going to happen on that day. Whereas it, at, at an ed camp anyway, it all grows out of the people who are there and what they want to talk about that day. So it's a it doesn't have that sort of long lead up time in terms of someone higher up making decisions about what should be talked about on this time. Yeah, I think, I mean, ed camps are an example of a non-conference model. And, you know, ed camps, the sessions do often have sort of an allotted period of time. Whereas in some non-conferences, there might not be a specific time set on, on breakout sessions, for example. Teach meets are another type of unconference that are more common in the UK and some of the other Commonwealth nations. So those actually involve more sort of little lightning sharing sessions. So unconferences can be more diverse in nature and ed camps are just one manifestation of that general spirit of sort of getting away from the, the rigidity and the structures of a conference. I think there's a real sense at conferences that when you go into a session, there's an expert there, there that you're, you are there in a more passive role. You're there to learn, but there's someone basically at the front who is the expert. Whereas at an, an ed camp anyway, what we say is that the room, the conversation, that's the expert, that no one person is, that it's this collaboration that creates expertise in a way that I think is different from your standard conference. I have gone to a series of ed camps in in Boston, and I also we had a, a SS chat. There was a, the first ed camp SS chat in Philadelphia a couple of years ago. Num- okay, a long time ago, I think like ten years. I was ago. there. Oh yep. yeah, I was there too. <laughs> Took a train down to Philly. It was interesting. And now, of course, we with SS chat we partner with NCSS and we do an unconference, which is not an ed camp because of the the free part we um, although we did get to be free this time yeah and i think with the you know we it's really interesting the way ed camps can and the unconference models can interact with our educational kind of ecosystem because i think there's the ed camp model has been very dynamic it's taken off in, in a lot of states they have very a lot of ed camps they'll have ones in cities some people have done specialty ones for ed camps for administrators and there's all these ones popping up and so as schools and conferences say, hey, this is popular, this is a trend in education, let's add it to what we're doing. And I sometimes see in these formal spaces, people will like call an empty room an unconference. And I'm like, I would call that an empty room. <laughs> it's not really an unconference. And this, one of the myths I think is that ed- unconferences don't have structure, which I think is, is not true because you just build the structure the day of the event. It's just a more f- you know fluid kind of responsive structure than you would normally have something that's planned out 
rigidly over time. So, so let me ask this question to both of you. Why do you think ed camps are popular? Why do people attend them? What do they get out of them? What, what can educators learn from them? I think that one of the things that we have found is that teachers feel like they're being treated like professionals. They're being respected for the learning that they have, that rather than filing into an auditorium and being talked at, they're actually being asked to help solve the problems. They're, they're being given space to collaborate. And what they find is that they then are oftentimes come away with practical tools to take back into the classroom almost immediately. So in some recent surveys that we've done, we've found you know, over 86% of the teachers who went to an ed camp said that they left with an idea they were going to implement in their classroom. And so it's very timely and they feel like they, it's a safe space to ask questions, but it's also a safe space to share their own expertise. And that really has an impact. And I think that in a day and age where we're talking so much about student empowerment and student voice, that most teachers have never experienced that. They grew up in very traditional classrooms. They went to traditional education programs in most cases, and they've never been given this ability to have a voice and have choice in their learning. And so an ed camp is a very quick way for them to see, oh my heavens, this is what voice means. I get to ask my questions. I get to share. And this is what choice is about. And so we find a lot of those teachers experience that at an ed camp, and then they turn around and it begins to change their practice. I think, so I had, I worked for two principals who were generally pretty good principals. I was fortunate in that regard, but still a lot of the policies at the schools that I worked at, and particularly around the professional development, they were based on the worst teachers in the school. And so I call that sort of like lowest common denominator policies. And ed camp is not pitched at the worst teachers. It is pitched at the, the, the professionals. And so it is an optimistic model. It trusts educators' motivations, their professionalism. It empowers them. I think one of the reasons that teachers like it also it goes back, Hadley mentioned sort of cross-pollination, and I think that's important because teachers, many teachers yearn to belong to a, a bigger community than what's available to them at their school, and they like going to ed camps because it often means they're interacting with people from other districts, people, if they're in a public school, maybe from a local private school. They get to meet these friends that they've made over the internet, you know, Twitter friends. They're, they're, that's always a phenomenon at ed camps is these cyber friends meeting in person. Uh, and, and so I think that's another important element. Perhaps I'm listening to too many Sesame Street runs because I'm thinking, who are the teachers in your neighborhood, in your neighborhood, in your neighborhood? They're the people that you meet at perhaps an ed camp or a coffee shop. Unfortunately, there's a nice overlap um, because actually all the best teachers actually listen to this podcast. So there's a perfect audience for ed camp participants. And if you're not going to ed camps, we're talking about you. You should be the ones going. So, Jeff, I know you've done a little bit of research on ed camps. Is there anything interesting that you've found about how ed camps you know, work? I think one question people have is, is they always want proof, right? Oh, tell me, does, how do we know that this works? I kind of feel like the EdCamp model is kind of upending that, that the process is just as important as anything. But can you give us any proof? Yeah, so of course it's hard to draw the line directly to student learning outcomes, which is the gold standard some people hold up, is you have to be able to make this connection to 
do EdCamp participants, uh, students' test scores rise? But I can't produce data like that. But I've, I've been able to do some research with colleagues of mine, Jamie Linton and Miles McFarlane, on, on different EdCamp participants and what they report as the benefits. And we did, Jamie and I did a study that we published this year in Teaching and Teacher Education where we followed up with EdCamp participants four to six months after they had been to an EdCamp and just asked them, was there an impact beyond the EdCamp itself? And overwhelmingly, they said that there was an impact in their prof- change in their professional practice as a result of their attendance. Folks talked about they did sometimes experience barriers as they tried to translate things they learned at EdCamps into action, but also that the EdCamps connected with them, connected them with people who could then help them overcome those barriers. So I do think that part of the way of sort of thinking about the benefits of EdCamps or the impact is in activating people as learners, empowering them, as Hadley said, and making them feel like I can get out of this rut maybe that I'm in. I can do professional learning beyond what is required of me or forced down my throat by my school district. I think one of the interesting things that we've that I've also found is that the original EdCamp model really is teachers who were giving up a Saturday, half of a Saturday to get together. And so you've got already dynamic teachers who are engaged in the practice. We have been asked in a, a number of situations to go into districts and to run an EdCamp for the district for their PD time. And what's so interesting is that when you provide teachers with this in, this model of learning and give them the ability to generate the topics that they're going to talk about and to have this collaboration. Initially, they're sitting back sort of, you know, in in your standard, it's a standard PD. And when they realize they get to actually engage, they, you know, the energy rises exponentially and they really are committed to it. And so I, and they, and, and get excited about it so that uh, the the traditional ed camp is teachers who have sort of self-identified as progressive and wanting to learn and change their practice. But what we found is that even when it's used for a more tradi- in a more traditional setting, when you give teachers the this chance to share with one another, they really rise to that. And that we in a recent study we did, close to eighty percent of the teachers said that the person they want in charge of their professional development is themselves. That they really, you know, they want to drive their own learning. And when you provide them with an environment to do that, they really engage. I like the idea of being able to pick what I want to focus on. And I do like choosing my professional development, which is why I do a lot of stuff outside of, of my school. So is an ed camp or an unconference model, do you see that as a replacement for conferences in general? No. So in my mind, stuff like ed camps, unconferences, using social media for, for professional learning, that's one piece of a healthy PD diet. I think Kristen Swanson, who was involved in founding the first ed camp with Hadley and colleagues, I think she used that phrase. You know, the, the ed camp, ed camps don't mean the death of the conference. I think it's a balance issue. You know, I, I think teachers sometimes do need an outside person encouraging them and pushing them and directing them a little bit. And I think teachers would be more receptive to that if some of the time they got to drive their own learning. So I don't think it's an either or. I think it's uh, reaching for that appropriate balance of 
opportunities for self-direction and then opportunities for for other people to maybe point out weaknesses or gaps that we're not aware of in ourselves. So it's kind of like if you're feeling down or, or bad about your PD, take an ed camp and call me in the morning. <laughs> exactly. So what advice do you have for educators interested in ed camps? Where can they go? What's happening currently with ed camps? Is there, you know, can, can Hadley, can you give me money for an ed camp? What, what do we need, educators need to know about the possibilities and challenges of ed camps? Well, the first place to go is to the website, www.edcamp.org. And there's a participate page and that will help you find an ed camp close to you. There's got a, you know, it's got a search in it so it, you can decide how far you want to go. We recently found out of, that all the participants in the June ed camp, 30% of them drove 50 miles or more to get to the ed camp, which is pretty wow. amazing. And then there's an organize page and there are so many resources on the organize page, including an organizer handbook that will walk you from through the moment that you decide to host an ed camp through the the end of the day and how to share about your ed camp. So we try at the Ed Camp Foundation to provide that. And one of the things, if you decide to organize, you register your ed camp, that's going to put you on our calendar. It's going to provide you with, you know, the chances to talk to us and ask questions, but it's also going to set you up for ed camp in a box, which is our program. It's our resource kit. And in that you will get everything from name tags and markers to post-it notes to lots of EdCamp swag, pens, and stickers. But you also get a check for $200 to help offset the cost of your coffee and bagels in the morning. And so we're, we are, it's, a, it's a program that's near and dear to my heart because it, I really want EdCamp people who want to run an EdCamp to make it as easy as possible for them. There's also in that box, we have, right now I think it's three EdTech companies who want to provide swag for EdCamps. And some EdCamps love to have lots and lots of swag and others would just like to have a little bit of something. And these companies have said, get in touch with us and we will definitely provide something for EdCamp participants. So we're really grateful for them and we're, we're you know, always looking for more swag to make it easier for our organizers to host their ed camp. It's a little scary that first time out of the gate, and we're trying to do as much as we can to make sure that they feel supported and part of this international movement. And I could add, you know, I've, I um, helped start a couple ed camps, and I'm really proud of, to be part of those experiences. Some of them were one-time events we had where we tried to gather people around the TXEDU hashtag and then we had we started EdCamp Kansas which is continuing after you know I don't live in Kansas anymore and we started an EdCamp in Tulsa and so it's been really rewarding also this last summer we had what we think is the first EdCamp for teacher educators so it was called EdCamp Ed Prep in the summer and that was a really cool experience and so the fun thing is is you just got to get a team together you put the schedules together before and then you invite lots of people to it and it's really not that hard it doesn't take that much planning because again you're not building the whole conference you're just creating the, the figuring out what rooms we're going to go in can we get anyone to donate some breakfast and then can we figure out how we're going to build the schedule when people arrive and you know there's all kinds of bonus stuff like making t-shirts and stuff like that that we like to do and sell the t-shirts ahead of time and that's always fun but you can do it you can start a net camp it can happen and there's lots of different they can have lots of different versions one of the things that i'm worried about right now is how do i get a building you do know, I have EdCamp in my house? You Most times schools will just open their, their doors to it, and that's always been the case. And I work at the university level, and people always tell me that the university is going to charge you $6,000 for the room. And I just oh keep telling them, 
yeah, but I don't have any money. Can I have it for free? And I keep saying that. And eventually someone just like gives up and gives it to me for free. And it's happened a couple times already. And so I'll just verify to people I've never paid uh, one penny for any facilities. We've always got those as part of the donation. Yeah, most most of and most ed camps are held in a school of one of the organizers. That's that's the most common. Some have been held in libraries and other spaces, but it's usually in a usually in a school. And you know, I think that that's something you you know when I pitch it to you know, or when I have pitched it to my university, and when I'm going to pitch one to have one here at UNT where I'm at now, I always just tell them this is great press for us. We're bringing people into our building; they get to see that what we're putting on. And it doesn't cost us anything either. All we have to do is open up the classrooms. Jeff, what do you think? What advice do you have for educators embarking on the EdCamp journey? Yeah, I would reiterate what others have said. It's simpler than it might seem to organize one. So we organized one at my university, Elon University, and only two of us on the organizing committee had ever attended an ed camp. But the process is simple and you trust the, t- the teachers to, to show up. Another piece, uh, I'll, I'll go back to Hadley mentioned sort of ed camps that are not entirely voluntary in their participation because I, I, I did some research with Miles McFarlane this year on some ed camps in Canada where that was the case, the, the district required attendance. And I was a little nervous, uh, you know, about what, what kind of results we'd see from that because it, it could be a game changer in terms of motivation. But in these particular schools where they did it, they did three ed camps and the responses were still quite positive. Even though their attendance was required, they still felt like they had a lot of autonomy and they were respected as professionals. So they had choice within structure. We know that works for our students. We don't give them total free reign. We put some structure in place and we give them choice within that structure. And I think the same thing can be true for bringing an unconference model and trying to marry it with some more traditional or district run PD. So EdCamp principles, unconference principles, do not have to occur solely outside of what a district is doing with their PD. Jeff, in that research paper, did you take the opportunity to call your findings section the unfindings? Because if not, <laughs> you missed I was, quite an opportunity. I was not that clever, Dan. <laughs> All right. Listen, thank you so much, Hadley and Jeff, for, for, for joining us today. It was a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you for inviting me on. And come back anytime. <laughs> Make sure it's a time that we're online and we've that's scheduled. That's true, and though, we're also recording. And, we're not yeah. here permanently. Uh, well, that really would be an unpod if you didn't. <laughs> it is. Okay. People randomly wandering in and out of the pod. <laughs> we'll just, yeah. You know what? We'll try something new in 2019, a continuous year-long podcast. Um, Good luck with that. Thank you. Can you two tell us where our listeners can find you online? You can find me first at the EdCamp website, or I am at HadleyJF um, on Twitter. I'm HadleyJF basically anywhere you look. <laughs> and I am Jeff P. Carpenter on Twitter. Paul is my middle name, so Jeff P. Carpenter on Twitter. We always wonder what the middle initial stands for, so th- <laughs> thank you for saying that. We wanted to make sure it wasn't a Harry S. Truman situation where it's just an S. So... <laughs> Thank you. Does he even get a period at the end of that? It stands for nothing. What do you get a period for? I know, right? Um, well, thank you two so much for joining us today. We certainly hope to continue the discussion online and in other spaces.
And obviously at Ed Camps. And obviously at Ed Camps. <laughs> nice. So at the Vision of Education podcast, as you know, we are all about sharing the learning. If you're doing something fun or creative in education, or you just want to chat, and let's be honest, you do, tweet us at Visions of Ed. Or we're also on Facebook and in that mystery place that we don't, that I forget where it is. And of course, if you haven't already, subscribe to Visions of Ed on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play, where we actually are. And soon we could be on a smart speaker. And if you write us a five-star review, we will unread it on the air. But please do not unsubscribe. That's an un we do, oh, yeah, not, we do not want here. You can find me on Twitter. I'm at Dan Kretka. And I'm at 42 Think Deep. Until next time, this is the Visions of Education podcast, signing off. <laughs> Delete that, this is Zach.